Please welcome to the stage our panel on protecting tribal homelands in an era of climate change. Greetings, and welcome to the Tribal Nations Summit panel on protecting tribal homelands in an era of climate change. My name is Wahela Johns. I'm the Director of Office of Indian Energy Policy and Programs at Department of Energy. Uh, my clans are Salt, born for the Red Bottom people. My maternal grandparents are Mini Goats, and my paternal grandparents are Towering House people. I'm from northeastern Arizona, and I'm really honored to be moderating this panel today. This panel will highlight some of the major progress made under several of the president several of President Biden and the administration's initiatives to protect tribal homelands and the environment. Some of those initiatives that we'll discuss today are the president's tribal homelands initiative, his executive order on revitalizing our nation's commitment <clears throat> to environmental justice for all, his presidential memorandum on restoring healthy and abundant salmon, steelhead, and other native fish populations in the Columbia River Basin national monument designations, and co-stewardship agreements. Additionally, we will highlight the importance of co-stewardship and indigenous knowledge specifically through DOE's policy and programs, as well as the Office of Science, Technology, Policy, and Center of Environmental Quality's Indigenous Knowledge Guidance Memo. We, are also, we also want to announce and learn more about the Hanford National Monument Sacred Sites MOU. Never has there been a time like now when the federal government and tribes have come together to overcome the crisis of our lifetime, climate change. And I'm not sure if any of, if any of you know, but 80% of the biodiversity globally is on indigenous or near indigenous homelands. In today's panel, we'll hear from esteemed tribal and federal leaders and experts, and then make some time for audience questions and answers. I'd like now to introduce our panel and ask them to provide opening remarks about the issues and actions they are working on in this space. First, um, we will hear from Nancy James, Chief of Gwicha Je Gwichen in tribal government. Chief James, I'll hand it over to you. Thank you, and good morning. It is a privilege and an honor to be asked to be part of the panel. I'd also like to be before Start. Shechi Chukdren Kinta Nisisaki Recha and Jet Nisisan Rinchil. I'm happy to be here to talk to the chiefs. I honor every chief being a chief because I know what it takes to be a chief before we say anything. But global warming, first of all, I'd like to acknowledge the Tribal Administration for recognizing uh, global warming. It is beyond reality when we have to be talking and convince people that their global warming is happening. Let me give you a reality check. I'm from Fort Yukon, eight miles above the Arctic Circle. It's recorded in the state of Alaska that has the coldest temperature of 72 below, 100 above in July. As of December 4th, the coldest that we have received 
so, for, so far, which we should be thankful for. But you could see the reality of the global warming that's affecting our people, the way of life, food, food security. It's becoming to be a number one problem for our people. But I was going back to, it was only 23 below. That's the coldest that we have gone so far. Reality check. When you go down on the river and you could, in, in the month, even now, our people cannot cross that river. And that's not just for Yukon. This is across Alaska. Many of our people need that river to go to the villages and to visit each other, but most of all to do subsistence way of life and fishing and hunting. We have a fishing issue because of global warming, even though people will not recognize it because of the water change, the ecosystem. And the fishing, there are people that sacrifice in the lower Yukon all the way up to our neighbors and the Canadian. We are asked not to fish. Is that not because of global warming? Because of the water and less water? Reality check. When you see in the month of November 20th, bears walking, looking for a den when they should be in their den in October. Reality check. When we have the largest waterfall in the Yukon Flats, that recognized by the National Fish and Wildlife. And you see different, different birds, robins. Now, reality check. Global warming has affected every one of us today. And we need to be Thankful to be good stewards of the land as native people that we have been given. Because it reality check to our chiefs and to remind myself to take care of our people, to be good stewards of the land and resources and the animals surrounding us. We are instructed when we are given by that land. And to re- recognize that instruction to take care of our people and the resources. And yet we're talking about food security. Food security. And our people in the Yukon Flats area and our neighbors further down in Anvik our Canadian brothers and sisters in Canada, we are sacrificing fishing, fishing food security. We are asked by the, fit, by the, the state not to fish. And you know what? Being who we are as Native people, we acknowledge hoping 
And we gave up fishing, and we're going into the fourth year. Reality check. Is that global warming because of the water resources? The question is, how long could my people sacrifice not fishing while you see others in the commercial fishing in the ocean, in our neighbors fishing? And here again, as Native people, we are asked to sacrifice. And as usual, we honor because we care for other people. And so global warming is affecting. And I acknowledge the tribal administration, the Obama administration, for acknowledging that. Because it has to come from the higher-ups. But our president has acknowledged this and set aside a lot of funds to do that. And we need to help our tribes. We need to help each other to put in for these tribes so we could exercise 93.638 to be able to govern and make decisions for ourselves with these resources. And I also like to uh, recognize the department for recognizing in Huslia and Kuchajir tribal. Okay, the question is, here's five million. You have an erosion problem. Show me what you're going to do with it. Mm-hmm. And that's a question when we are asked to be governed ourselves, let the community, let the leaders make their own decision to govern themselves in the community. And so that opportunity has opened up. Thank you, Chief James. And take advantage of it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for those um, remarks, Chief James. Next, we'll go to Tyson Johnston, the Director of Self-Governance of the Quinault Indian Nation. Nuguitu, um, on behalf of the Quinault Indian Nation, I'm honored to be in front of you, our esteemed tribal leaders and colleagues. Uh, my name is Tyson Johnston. I'm the self-governance executive director for the Quinault Indian Nation. We're a tribe that's located in northwest Washington state, and we're a party to the Treaty of Olympia of 1856. Um, I really appreciate Chief James' remarks and really want to echo um, everything that she raised. I'm here in particular because I'm a member of the Quinault Indian Nation's Community-Driven Relocation Program Task Force that's charged with implementing the relocation of our villages, implementation of our master planning efforts, and adapting our climate change adaptation strategy into an operational framework. We also are working together to marshal public and private resources to get across the finish line. These are very capital-intensive needs that we have to work through to make meaningful um, adjustments to climate change and how it's impacting our communities. My community is on the Pacific Coast in particular. We are vulnerable to sea level rise and are seeing things happen in our area that have never happened in elders' lifetimes. And so having climate adaptation to protect our communities and give our future generations an opportunity to not only live but thrive is a key component of our work. So I'll turn back over to you, but thank you for this opportunity. Thank you, Director Johnston. And next we have Secretary of Department of Energy, Jennifer Granholm. Great. Thank you, Wahela. Thank you. I mean, Wahela works in the Department of Energy and is 
amazing. So grateful for your leadership and guidance. Um, and so grateful to be on the panel with uh, these incredible tribal leaders, as well as, of course, Brenda Mallory, who's uh, my partner in making sure we address climate change uh, in, the, in the federal government. So um, I just briefly, the Department of Energy has a lot of resources to be able to now help tribes achieve your own uh, goals and aspirations with respect to clean energy and addressing climate change. It's been part of our legacy. I mean, the department and our Office of Indian Energy has helped tribes in the past. I think, for example, Chief James, I think um, we helped provide uh, solar panels for a greenhouse and a community uh, building um, in 2021. Director um, Johnson, I think we helped uh, one at sim- similarly solar on community. Just a couple of examples. We want to do this in a very broad way. So our efforts are about supporting um, tribes build their own energy capacity. Second, about supporting projects that um, make energy affordable and reliable and accessible. When I say affordable, of course, we know that solar energy is the cheapest form of energy in many places. Um, And collectively with the efforts that I know we have um, worked on, we've been able to help tribal members save on their energy bills, millions and millions of dollars. But now it's uh, also a lot about accessibility. So there are a lot of um, tribes who are now connected for the first time to the grid and have asked for that help. Similarly, making it reliable, a lot of um, tribes have asked for help with respect to microgrids and creating that resilience and redundancy when the lights go out. We have, um, because of the president's agenda, we have resources now to be able to help. So let me give you an example. Uh, Tribes now have access to hundreds of millions of dollars in grid upgrades, in rebates, for energy-efficient appliances. I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars are are available. And our loan programs office uh, also got a significant boost in our tribal loan guarantee program. And for the first time, uh, tribes are now, we heard, uh, the difficulty of accessing that. And so um, we made sure that it's easier by not requiring a commercial bank be a loan uh, guarantor. We want to make sure that we... uh, you know, we are hearing and adjusting our programs to be able to be accessible to you. Um, just finally, what really makes these programs successful, though, of course, is the making sure we are at the table with you, um, you know, nation to nation, and making sure we're listening. And so um, strengthening these tribal relationships and partnerships has got to be key. And in that vein, I want to just put two things on your calendar Uh, For those of you who are interested, first, next Monday on December 11th, uh, my Deputy Secretary Turk, he's going to be holding another consultation session for uh, DOE's order on policy and tribal consultation. Some of you uh, may remember at the beginning of the administration, we held our first consultation on this, and now we've taken your feedback and then want to feed that back to you. In other words, uh, share our proposed revisions uh, with you. And then second, on February 27th um, and 28th, DOE is going to hold our next Tribal Clean Energy Summit. 
uh, where we'll talk together more about how we can continue to break down barriers and make this fund, these funding opportunities and technical assistance uh, available to those who would like it. And I want to thank uh, Chairman Mark Makaro of the Pechanga Bank uh, Band of Indians for, for hosting that. Registration for that is open now at energy.gov slash Indian Energy. So with that, I'll turn it back to Wahela. Thank you, Secretary Granholm. And now we ha- want to hear from Chair of the Council of Environmental Quality, Brenda Mallory. Thank you so much. It's such an honor to be here and to be on this panel in particular. And I love the fact that we started off by grounding the discussion and the impacts that people are actually seeing on the ground that we are here to try to talk about how we can address and to have the secretary, of course, pick up with uh, a theme that you'll hear come through my remarks, which is about the importance of partnership and working with you and listening and acting on the things that we hear. So I'm going to basically take my few minutes to just talk a little bit about some of the work that's already gone on that's an effort to kind of bring together all of the themes that I think this administration has reflected from day one, which is a recognition that it is important for us to improve, uh, to do better in our nation-to-nation relationship, to recognize the, uh, the importance of that the sovereignty of uh, the nations, to act on the treaty rights, to act on other rights that are important uh, in the tribal and indigenous world, and to make sure that we are creating the opportunities for uh, hearing, uh, listening, and moving forward. And so I think a number of examples of work that's, been, that's gone on that the president and the vice president have really led on really show how we're trying to do that. And with climate change being so critical to what we're all dealing with and impacting uh, tribal uh, nations more uh, uh, significantly and first, um, it's really important that we kind of pull ourselves together to actually act in, in partnership. So a couple of things that I just wanted to... Um, to touch on. Um, uh, first of all, just uh, acknowledging that, um, you know, this is a, a president and an administration that is undertaking the, the most ambitious climate and conservation agenda in history. And that is not just because we like to do those things. That is a recognition that we are in a uh, situation in which we, we have to act now. Uh, we have to act to address climate and conservation uh, and environmental justice and equity are very much a part of that. And I think that's a theme that I think we see in our work overall uh, in working with um, tribes. Um, and doing that requires really um, doing, take, taking different approaches, as the Secretary was talking about. We have historic funding, thanks to this president, in order to work on on, on issues that are important for these challenges. But we know that business as usual will not make those funds reach the communities that need them most. And so very much trying to kind of restructure how we approach things so that we are able to address those uh, crises. Um, I want to start with um, an action that the president took uh, several months ago, which I think kind of crystallizes a number of different uh, themes and and that was his designation of the Ba Nuwajo Iktak Kukvini uh, ancestral footprints of the Grand Canyon National Monument. Yes, worth worth a clap. <laughs> um, and I will say, uh, as someone who had the honor to stand behind the president and the tribal leaders who were there, just um, being able to recognize the significance of an action like that, both in terms of listening to tribal communities that had been working for decades to try to lift up this area and to have um, uh, this t- 
type of designation occur, um, recognizing that um, the effort that, that folks had put into it and that we and this administration heard that. And then to hear the president on the stage acknowledge how it was a significant action because we know that the Grand Canyon existed because of the removal of Native peoples from that land, uh, and that this was a small way or a step towards recognizing that injustice uh, and, and moving forward. And the Grand Canyon is um, a phenomenal example, not only for the sacred uh, value that it holds for the Native peoples, but also as we think about climate change and we think about um, um, our biodiversity crisis, it's an important step in that direction. As we think about what it means to honor the, the history of folks who have not gotten a, um, a attention in the past, it's a great example of that. Um, and so, and, and on our just overall uh, issues relating to, to conservation. So um, I think that's a great one to just start off with. And I will say one other thing that really touched me during that um, designation was that um, the, um, the president was introduced by Maya Talusi Little, who is a, a native uh, teenager um, who's actually whose mother is on the White House Environmental Justice Advisory Council and who I am grateful for her participation. But she reflected on... Um, what it meant to kind of see something that she had grown up learning about being an importance in her in her history and her culture, and to be able to stand there as a representative of the next generation as we moved and turn kind of turn the corner uh, in history that was just very um, both striking and touching and I think um, is, is is a moment that I think we we want to look to for how do we combine all of those themes that I just described in one place. We've also had similar energy when we um, uh, designated the Avikwame National Monument, which the president um, did um, before that. And at, again, another place where there was a real tribal push for this designation over many, many years and is very important and representative for, um, for, for Native peoples. And so another example of how we can act on what we hear and have it um, really serve these combined um, purposes. Um, I think the administration, and we've already heard it, recognizes how important it is for us to come together to um, help in um, preserving the homelands that people are fighting uh, so hard to protect, particularly as we um, face the, the climate crisis and, and the ways in which it is uh, impacting um, uh, communities. And one of the uh, sources of input that we use at the, um, at the Council on Environmental Quality is the White House Environmental Justice Advisory Council, which is a um, body of experts and, across the country who have been focused on environmental justice, which includes uh, tribal representatives and uh, academics who are, are focused in uh, tribal areas. And that is a source of input that we, um, that we get information and recommendations on, on things we should do. And one of the things we set up with that, um, that uh, group is, is a work group that is specifically focused on on tribal issues and um, and trying to address some of the major concerns that that folks uh, are addressing and how we do it in ways that again that honor the culture and the tradition uh, of folks. Um, another thing that I want to mention, just in terms of being central to pulling in uh, and recognizing our our work with tribes, is um, the Environmental Justice um, uh, Justice Forty Initiative. And the Justice Forty Initiative is the president's commitment to. Uh, deliver 40% of the overall benefits of investments in the climate and clean energy space 
to people who have generally been underrepresented. And we include in that uh, tribal members in our climate and economic justice uh, screening tool with uh, CEQ put out uh, last year. It, it designates areas that are um, uh, tribal lands as uh, communities in which we um, try to prioritize um, prioritize where uh, resources go. And so that's another place in which that focus on needing to do something differently if you want to have the outcome that you want is, is really important. Uh, a, a specific grant uh, that is very much part of that program is the Climate Justice Community Change Grants that uh, EPA recently um, uh, announced. And here again, grants.gov is where you should go to learn more about those and what the opportunities. It's a new way of doing many of our programs and I think creates an, an opportunity for, for folks. And so I'm, I'm going to stop there uh, and say um, thank you all for being here. And I think it's really important that we continue this partnership moving forward. Thank you, Chair Mallory. Next, we're going to go to, um, well, uh, a good colleague of mine, uh, Brian Newland, Assistant Secretary of Indian Affairs at, at the Department of Interior. Miigwech. Thank you, Wahela. Buju Minogijip. My name is Brian Newland. I serve as Assistant Secretary for Indian Affairs. I'm Ojibwe from the Bay Mills Indian community, way up at the top of northern Michigan or way down south for, for you, Chief James. My, uh, I'm, I'm going uh, to be brief, and my, my mom always uh, says to me, she says, you lawyers are always talking about briefs. You're never brief. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best. Uh, you know, you've heard a lot already this morning, and, you, and you'll hear over the next day and a half about the administration's commitments. Um, but at its core, I think it, it can be best summarized as, as a mission statement that we believe that it is our trust responsibility to protect the ability of every Native person here in the United States to lead safe, healthy, and fulfilling lives in their homelands. That's our mission statement. And so, so much of what we're, we're going to talk about is, is flowing off of that. And three years ago, related to that, President Biden made a commitment to Indian country that he was, his administration would make it easier for tribes to place land into trust. And for the first time since the Indian Reorganization Act was passed almost 100 years ago, this administration has completed rules to make that process easier and to fulfill President Biden's commitment to make the land and the trust process easier. And we're really excited about those revised regulations. And this commitment also includes addressing climate change, because we have to protect the ability of, of tribes and Native people to live in their homelands, to stay in their homelands. Um, just this past July, this administration announced here at the department the availability of $120 million in grant funding for tribes across the country uh, to make your communities more resilient to climate change. So for perspective, the BIA has been uh, issuing these tribal climate resilience grants for more than 10 years. And this round of funding this year, thanks to the president's bipartisan infrastructure law and the Inflation Reduction Act, this year's grant announcement is more than the previous 10 years combined for tribes. 
And, and that's, that is funding that's available to uh, tribes across the country to address however climate change is impacting you. In some places, that's drought. In some places, that's wildfire. In some places, it's flooding and coastal erosion. It might be uh, the degradation of ecosystems that affect your ability to harvest foods that you've always relied upon. That funding is available to help make your communities more resilient to climate change so you can stay in your homelands and lead those safe, healthy, and fulfilling lives where you've always been. In addition to that, um, we have made this historic investment across President Biden's administration. I can, and I can say from my previous time working here at the department um, in an earlier administration, you know, President Biden's commitment to asking all of our agencies across the government to work together to solve problems is very real, and we've been able to do that. And so we have invested just through the Department of the Interior, more than $135 million in community-driven relocation for those tribes that are acutely and immediately affected by the climate crisis. And we have worked with the Department of Energy, we've worked with FEMA, we've worked with USDA, um, all across this administration to make this possible. And so you've, you've, uh, you've heard from uh, Chief James about uh, what that means, a $5 million investment in Gwichizay Gwichin, and I was able to visit uh, last spring. Thank you, Chief James, for hosting us. She got me uh, out on the dance floor to do a jig uh, <laughs> with some of the uh, community youth, and thank you so much for never showing anybody the video of that. Um, and, and you'll never see it. Uh, and I was also able to visit uh, Quinault last spring as well. Uh, to see uh, what is nearly a $30 million investment in, into their work to relocate uh, their community off the coast. And that also gives uh, places like Quinault a chance to reimagine what their tribal communities look like going forward and to build a community that reflects their values, uh, that puts, I see you've put your elders and your youth at the center uh, the literal center of your new community, um, and done that in a way that promotes walkability, uh, homes that are energy efficient, new clean drinking water, water lines, all these things. So th not only are we making investments um, in the tribal communities that, as you said, Chief James, you make the decisions about how to address these challenges with our support, um, you know, it's a chance to build a new community uh, going forward in a community that isn't based on how the BI, how we used to be and, and say, you're going to do it this way, uh, to do it your way and reflective of your values. And so we're, we're really proud of that work. We're proud of this partnership. And under this president, we're going to continue to put our money where our mouth is when it comes to doing things like addressing climate change and supporting uh, tribes making these decisions about how to fulfill that mission. So I'll stop there. Miigwech, thank you so much. Thank you, Assistant Secretary Newland. Next, we'll go to our first question with Secretary Granholm. Question is, how has Department of Energy supported the President's prioritization of tribal co-stewardship? Uh, thank you, Wahila. Um, and I, I, I think one of the most important 
a recent example, I'll just say, of this. And, and Brian, to your point about the president's leadership in making all of the agencies of the federal government together and aligned on preserving sacred spaces. We, we all signed uh, an MOU inside of the federal government, as many of you know, uh, in 2021 about making sure that we were of accord in, um, in interacting and in respecting and in uh, communicating with tribes. And so um, in that vein, uh, last year I visited uh, what is known as the Hanford site. This is a, a big 586-acre site in Washington, D.C., where the Manhattan Project was making weapons for World War II. And that 586-acre site is actually the ancestral homeland to uh, the Yakima, the Umatilla, the Nez Perce, and the Wanapim people. And over the course of time, as the cleanup was going on in this 586-acre site, the federal government had sort of walled it off. I mean, fortunately, the, the sacred sites had also been protected, but the people, but the tribes could not access them in the way that they should have been able to, right? So uh, when I went there last year, I sat down with the tribal leaders, and they were telling me about how they were restricted from being able to, um, you know, have ceremonies, um, you know, do traditional, um, you know, activities, especially with respect to medicine, et cetera, they were very frustrated that this was their ancestral homeland, and because of national security reasons, it had been shut off to them. So that really moved me, and they asked for my help. How could we, how can the federal government come to our aid and allow us to work together to give us access and stewardship over this, these sites? And so um, when I came back, I thought, this is exactly why we have this MOU among all of the agencies, is to be able to make sure we do this right. Now, the, one of the federal agencies that was part that is part of that of, of managing that area is Fish and Wildlife. And so came back, um, and I thank God we have Secretary Holland, who is very sensitive to all of this and, of course, is leading this MOU, but came back and said, what can we do for this area? And so uh, this week, uh, we signed, we, uh, Department of Interior, Department of Energy, and the tribes signed an MOU that will give them input and responsibility for managing these sites in a way that respects their, uh, their ancestors, their heritage, their practices. I'm so excited about this because they had been asking for this for so long. And if it weren't for the leadership of this president the leadership of Secretary Holland, this would uh, not be happening. So it's one example of how this administration is really listening and acting to be respectful of, uh, you know, of our tribal relationships and of Mother Earth. So thank you. Thank you, Secretary Granholm. <clears throat> Our next question is for Assistant Secretary Newland. History has demonstrated that more than uh, the more the federal government restores tribal homelands, the better it is for tribes and the environment. However, tribal homelands are also some of the most at risk for as the impacts of uh, warming climate 
our planet. Could you comment on how Interior is thinking about and working on protecting homelands in conjunction with addressing climate change? Thank you, Wahela. You know, in, in um, our Ojibwe language, we have this phrase, Minobamadzuin, uh, which, you know, we talk about, um, it, it, the literal translation is living a good life, but it, it embodies a lot more than that about being in, in balance. And so many tribes have versions of that in your languages. Um, and so that also includes um, living in and restoring the balance of, of the world around us and, and all of our uh, relatives in the, in the environment around us. And so uh, you mentioned it in your opening remarks, Wahila, about 80% of the biodiversity in the world is, is often stewarded by uh, indigenous people. Uh, and that includes here on this continent. So when we're, when we're talking about addressing climate change, you know, that throws everything out of, out of balance. It throws everything out of whack um, in our ecosystems, in our, in our homelands. And so by uh, restoring lands to tribal ownership and, and tribal stewardship, you know, that allows the people who have been stewarding those lands for millennia and maintaining that balance uh, to resume and revitalize that work. And so uh, just one example of, of something we're doing, uh, you know, relates to Secretary Holland's uh, Keystone Initiatives and uh, under, under the President's Investing in America Initiative with making investments in, in uh, bison restoration. Um, I see President Starr comes out here from the Oglala Sioux Tribe and, and others from the Plains know that you know, when, when the bison were killed off, the Great Plains ecosystems were thrown out of balance and out of whack. And so by working with tribes uh, to restore their lands and then also make these investments to restore bison on those lands, it, it brings those lands back to their natural state. Uh, it helps return balance to prairie grass, which can store carbon uh, and makes those ecosystems healthier. And so we've engaged in this partnership here at the Department of the Interior to put real money into that. So in addition to making the process of uh, putting land into trust easier, in addition to restoring 3 million acres to tribal ownership by reducing fractionation, we're also now investing in the work that tribes will do to steward and manage those lands once they're back under tribal control. That's, that's just one example. We don't have enough time to go over all the examples. Thank you, uh, Secretary, uh, Assistant Secretary Newland. Next, I'm going to turn to uh, Chief James and Director Johnston. Um, this is a question for both of you. The Biden administration has sought to center tribal leader voices in federal policy development and implementation. Given that both of your tribes have experienced, which you uh, shared, um, the effects of climate change, uh, can you comment on the administration's initiatives and how they've helped your tribe or your, your nation and what more needs to be done. What more could be done? I think that's the next step or in the process is that climate change, the reality of it, that we need to accept it. We also need to do something about it within our resources especially in the natural resources in our land, protecting our land. 
What can the administration do? I think once we receive any tribe that does get a grant, I think the knowledge and the task force should be set up on the climate change affecting the communities. It is true that we're having a flood and everything else, but we also need a task force with our elders that has knowledge of it to to help our young people that's taking over our tribes. And also when we fund it, let, like I said, let the community and the elected officials decide what's best for them in the community. Thank you. Director As was already stated, um, $120 million is a historic investment from the Biden-Harris administration to start to move the needle forward um, from climate-related impacts. Targeted investments such as these are sorely needed in Indian country. Um, for many of us, our traditional science, traditional knowledge, we've already known that climate change is an issue uh, well before it became popularized in, in the mainstream and accepted by uh, mainstream science. And so now that these targeted investments are starting to occur, tribes that are smaller, that don't have access to capital, are finally getting the resources they need to move from the planning phase and into the implementation phases of their work. Another thing that's important to remember when we move into this era and start addressing these issues meaningfully is that I think it's essential that we incorporate the self-determination principles and self-governance framework for this new funding opportunity. This allows for the maximum flexibility and um, ability for tribes to implement their own innovation. It's hard sometimes when uh, federal funding or other resources become available and um, there's a lot of red tape where there's a lot of uh, things that make it difficult for us to truly create a plan that uh, meets our tribe's values and needs. So allowing us to move forward as a value set that we have maximum flexibility with these resources is going to be paramount. There's 567 federally recognized tribes right now, and all of us are going to have different adaptation strategies and different priorities moving forward. So boxing us in and keeping us in uh, kind of bureaucratic red tape is really not going to work if we want to continue to make meaningful change. By having this flexibility that's built into the pilot project now, um, Quinault has been able to leverage that federal investment for additional resources in the private sector and as well as from state funding. We're able to receive another $12 million by being able to leverage this federal resource from the state of Washington from a Carbon Reduction Act that they prioritize that allowed us to further supplement this work. But when you look at what the total costs are going to be required um, in our communities, we costed this out years ago um, pre-pandemic, and we're looking at, for one village, $150 million to $200 million of capital needed to really move our villages out of harm's way. But now, post-pandemic, we've seen construction costs, expertise, and other assistance that's necessary increase by a minimum of 40% across all sectors. And so this is very costly work, and without access to capital to do anything about it, it just becomes a plan that sits on a shelf. Any climate um, policy um, in the United States that's adopted isn't going to be successful unless it meaningfully includes tribal nations. Any climate policy that exists now isn't going to be successful if it doesn't meaningfully think about the treaty relationship and the trust responsibility that we have between the tribes in the United States. 
projects like the ones we're working on, the pilot project for the CDRP, I believe should be made permanent and operationalized as a framework for all tribes as we inevitably come to terms with the climate-related impacts that our future generations will face. Centering tribal voices, our science, our innovations, maximizing legal flexibility, access to capital, and supporting public-private partnerships is paramount if we are going to co-create a just future, not only for Indian people, but all people that we share this planet with. So, thank you. Thank you. Next question, we're going to Chair Mallory. Could you comment more on how you center tribal nations in decision-making, such as the designation of Ba, Nu, Wa, Jo, I, Ta, Vini as a national monument? And I apologize if I um, mispronounce that, uh, the translation of that national monument at the Grand Canyon in Arizona. It's not emotional. It's just my voice is gone. Um, yes, I mean, I think, and I, as I said at the top of my um, remarks, just recognizing that we have to respond to and listen to what our tribal partners are telling us mm-hmm. about what's important as we move forward. And I think the on the monuments front. We, you know, we heard from lots of people, and that's not un- unusual, but we don't always follow up in the ways that I think are necessary and appropriate. And I think on that monument, there was just a lot to work with and a lot of partners who were together. But I think we're trying to integrate that same kind of, um, that same ethos in the way that we approach conservation in general. And I've heard some examples, but like the, the fact that, you know, the ideas around co-management and co-stewardship and cooperative agreements are increasingly part of the way that we think about how we operate um, um, actions or operate um, uh, some of the, the um, conservation uh, measures in, in uh, fish hatcheries and in the parks themselves. Like, those are an important steps, and they're going to vary because obviously there's different legal frameworks that cover different types of land, but just leaning into the idea that there is important, um, there is history and value. Um, and like just as someone mentioned, just the whole idea of indigenous knowledge actually being lifted up in a really significant way. You know, we did guidance, I think, uh, at, either at the last uh, tribal conference or the one before, but we like realized that we really had to create a framework for the federal agencies to use in thinking about how to approach indigenous knowledge, to recognize that the indigenous uh, knowledge belongs to the indigenous people. Uh, And so, like, but creating a way in which we um, can benefit from, obviously, I mean, the fact that that your your comment about the 80% of biodiversity, that that is really significant. And just being able to be mindful of that, I think, has been um, really important. So uh, all of these are tools that I think we are just trying to increasingly make part of business as usual instead of where we are are now. Thank you. And a follow-up question to Assistant Secretary Newland. Um, with the recognition of the Grand Canyon National Monument, uh, this proclamation furthers the president and the administration's commitment to protecting spaces that are sacred to tribes. Could you comment on the importance of and how it fits into the administration's work protecting lands like 
the Sacred Sites MOU Best Practices Guide. Sure, thanks, Wahela. And, and I, I was excited to learn just before we walked up here on the stage that Secretary Mayorkas has signed on to the Sacred Sites MOU, bringing uh, that to nine cabinet agencies. Yeah, that's a, that's a big deal because it allows us to, to hold uh, each other accountable within the federal government and, and allows us to, to work from the same standards and same processes. Um, but just generally on co-stewardship and, and co-management and, um, you know, many, uh, many sites for ceremonies, um, many sacred places um, are found on uh, what, what are now called public lands. Um, because you know those lands were were taken through various means, and they're no longer in tribal ownership on paper. But that doesn't mean that there's not an, an interest, in a protected interest, in protecting those places and accessing those places. And so, um, you know, the the co stewardship initiatives, the Sacred Sites MOU allows us to support tribes in working toward that protection. And I'll I'll say one last thing very briefly about co stewardship. You know, uh, sometimes people um, think about this as something that the, the government is doing for tribes. Uh, co-stewardship is, you know, something that's, uh, you know, given to tribes. And, you know, I think we always like to point out that this benefits the entire country. Um, because the, the United States manages, uh, you know, hundreds of millions of acres of what we call federal public lands... Why wouldn't we want added capacity, added expertise, millennia of knowledge and understanding of how to manage those lands? Why wouldn't we want people who have that at the table to benefit not only Indian country, but the entire country? And really, when we're talking about climate change, this is a global effort. This co-stewardship brings your expertise, your knowledge, your understanding, your relationship to your homelands, to the table for the benefit of all people in the world. And so it's not something that we're just, that the federal government does for tribes. It's something that we're doing for everybody. Because Indian country will play just an absolutely critical role in helping us solve climate change, helping us protect these places, um, and making them... uh, exist for future generations. So thank you, Mahila. Thank you. Uh, We are going to turn it over to the audience questions and answers now. So I think we have uh, Tony Dearman and Jonna Blackhair to help identify tribal leaders. Yeah, hello, my name is Jimmy John Thompson. I represent Tembisha Shoshone Tribe. We're located in Death Valley National Park. Um, I also sit on several committees, uh, Trim Tech and NetWig. We deal with nuclear waste and storage uh, transportation. Um, and there's a lot of talk about the clean energy. Um, we're located in California, Nevada, as I spoke earlier. And a lot of this clean energy push is getting pushed into Nevada, uh, a lot of the mining. And uh, some of it's even being funded by the federal government. None of the funding is going to the tribes, um, and we also feel like we are going to be ones facing the biggest impact there. 
Uh, the entire state is just being overrun by uh, folks from Canada and South America looking at the lithium mines and everything else, including nuclear. Um, and I'm just, we're, we're, con- we're concerned. Um, we don't want to look back at this in 20, 30 years and see all of our lands as a Superfund site. And that's how we see it's going to happen. And, and it's all going to be in the name of clean energy. Uh, I just want to point out that we are very concerned and we would like to see something done about that. Uh, it just isn't looking in favor in our way. Uh, just want to point that out. Thank you for those remarks. Next question. Good morning. Uh, my name is Cheryl Andrews Maltese, and I'm the chairwoman of the Wampanoag tribe of Gay Head of Quinna on the island of Nope. Most people know it as Martha's Vineyard. Thank you for being here, and I appreciate the work that you're doing. However, we're concerned in the east, and particularly our coastal tribes, because while we're pursuing the clean energy of 30 by 30, we're ignoring the negative impacts of wind energy that are having a detrimental effect on our sacred sites, our ceremonial sites, and our submerged underwater archaeological resources, as well as what it's going to do not only on the east coast, but throughout the Gulf of Mexico, as well as the West Coast. Can you fix this? Thank you. Um, So what we'd like to do is find out from Secretary of Energy, as well as others, what are you going to be able to do to help our tribes protect our resources, cultural, spiritual, and traditional, as well as working to get a better understanding of what these uh, enormous wind turbines and their residual effects are going to have on our underserved and underrepresented communities upon which the backs of all of this industry is being placed. And we don't feel that it's fair to us, and it keeps getting um, omitted from an important factor of what the administration and Indian country's interests are. Thank you. Um, So I appreciate this and the prior comment as well, because um, one of the ways that we are addressing this is that any project that is getting a grant from the Department of Energy must have uh, a community benefits plan that includes, if it, if it touches upon tribal lands, that it includes tribal interests being considered in this plan. Um, the community benefits plan is our way of embedding Uh, an assurance that we are respecting lands, waters of tribes. What that plan does is we evaluate, you know, we get way oversubscribed for all of these projects. Huge numbers of entities want to be able to access grant money, as you can imagine. But we are actually rating these projects. The 20% of the evaluation is on the community benefits plan. If there's not a good community benefits plan, they're not going to get funded. And so it's, it, it has never happened before in any administration that a community benefits plan has been required in order to get grant funding. And, you know, obviously in tribal country, that is uh, involving the tribes, but in disadvantaged communities, it's involving disadvantaged communities uh, that have not been at the table. But the point is to get to the table those who are impacted. And we don't want to be funding um, entities that are going to be destroying sacred sites, obviously. We don't want to be doing anything that damages the land and the water and the air. 
And at the same time, we recognize we have, that the planet is on fire. And that we have a sense, a huge sense of urgency about trying to remove greenhouse gases and not being reliant upon fossil fuels, which create carbon pollution, which cause climate change. So we are, we, uh, and I know you all, uh, and I know climate change has been top of the list. We at the Department of Energy have a lot of the technological solutions, but how those technological solutions are deployed in place depends on communities. Mm -hmm. And so I just want you to know that we are really working on this piece of things in terms of how we can fund. Now, things that don't require DOE funding or private sector may be doing other stuff that doesn't, that doesn't impact us. But what we're impact, what we're focused on is making sure communities are at the table. Thank you, Secretary Granholm. And I appreciate the uh, questions and really want to also, we're, we're out of time, unfortunately. Um, there are going to be many of us from different agencies that will be here and happy to continue to further the discussion. And I just want to appreciate all of you relatives for making the travel here and participating at this Tribal Nation Summit. I also want to thank um, the Chief James and Director Johnson for also traveling and being on this panel. Your input is very valuable um, perspective that you shared. Um, I'm going to you know, take that to a lot of the work that I do. Um, so I just want to Thank you for being here and sharing those words. And then also leaders here, um, it's just amazing to uh, be in partnership as we continue to uh, work towards providing solutions. And I always say tribes are leading the way. Um, we, we've been seeing it in the, a lot of the opportunities or grant opportunities that we help to support in our office. There's over 200 uh, mostly clean energy projects that um, tribes are leading and have been leading for over 10 years. So um, I just want to give you all a round of applause and then also the panel. And thank you for joining us this morning.